Psalm 23, the most famed chapter in all the Bible. And I want you to see, by God's grace, that we are going to unpack this text over the next three weeks. In fact, if you look down at your Bible, you'll notice that there are three stanzas, so to speak, of this song, this psalm. Verses 1 through 3, then you'll see a space, there's verse 4, and then you'll see another space in verses 5 and 6. I'm going to take this psalm over the next three weeks and unpack it based off those three stanzas. And I want you to see, as we go through this text, that Psalm 23 truly is a psalm for every season. It's a psalm for today, verses 1 through 3. It's a psalm for tomorrow, verse 4. And it's a psalm for forever, verses 5 through 6. But today, we'll notice that it's a psalm, well, for today. Beginning in verse 1, hear now the words of our great God. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Join me now as we pray. Let's ask God to help us. Father in heaven, I'm asking that you would come now and minister your word in a way that I cannot. Open our eyes to see this text in a fresh, new way. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've just read the most famed an acclaimed poem in all history. There is no piece of literature more recognized, arguably, than the 23rd Psalm. Little surprise that it's often referred to as the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It's the most well-known chapter, the most memorized chapter, the most internalized chapter. It's known by believers and unbelievers alike. I dare say, if you were to poll the average unbeliever in Western civilization that rarely, if ever, darkens a church, you will find that one of the few texts of Scripture they're more familiar with than you expect is that famed shepherd psalm, the 23rd Psalm. There's none more recognized. Uh, there's none more recited, consequently. This is a psalm that, don't you hear it often in both weddings and funerals? This is a psalm that ministers both at a child's bedside and at a hospital bedside. You've probably heard this psalm more than any other, both from preachers and even from presidents. The last time our nation heard this psalm from a presidential platform was on its darkest day in recent history, the evening of September 11th, when our then president, President George W. Bush, addressed the nation from the Oval Office. There he cited the 23rd Psalm. History attests that our most famous of presidents, Abraham Lincoln, was ministered to time and again by the 23rd Psalm in the darkest days of the Civil War. It's the most recognized, the most recited. Evidently, it's one of the most reassuring of the Psalms. Charles Spurgeon famously noted that the 23rd Psalm has charmed more griefs than all the philosophies of the world. So I dare say that this text is most relevant for us 
today. And some of you may be thinking, okay, maybe, but I don't know. This is a familiar psalm. I was really hoping, preacher, that you were going to preach on Revelation again. <laughs> you did Revelation 22 two years ago. You did Revelation 21 last year. We were banking that it was going to be Revelation 20. You're going to spend the next 22 years just going backwards through Revelation. I had a few of you tell me that. Thank you. I wanted to turn to the 23rd Psalm, despite its familiarity, which I'll admit, oftentimes, familiarity breeds contempt. I don't want you to allow that to jade you over the next few weeks. I want you to see this. You may think, man, not only is it too familiar, it seems too foreign in its imagery. I mean, the truth is, when you read the 23rd Psalm, unless you grew up in FFA, Future Farmers of America, you probably have no idea what this imagery is. I mean, who amongst us has really ever been involved with a shepherd? I bet few of you, if any of you, actually work with sheep for a living. So we're going to spend the next few weeks unpacking this foreign and familiar imagery. And this has been my earnest prayer as I've studied. I'm asking the Lord right now, and I have all week, that he would drive away, so to speak, the fog of foreign imagery and help you to see with new eyes of faith this masterful portrait painted of our Lord in this psalm. I'm asking the Lord to drown out, so to speak, the hum of familiarity. I know you think you get this. I'm asking that the Lord would reawaken you to hear anew the 23rd Psalm is one of the sweetest of songs ever sung. So come now and hear with me the immortal chorus of this psalm sung by the sweet psalmist of Israel, David himself. I believe verse 1 of Psalm 23 is the chorus, so to speak, of the psalm. The chorus is what you remember, right? Chorus is, when you think of a song, you think of the chorus. And who doesn't know the first verse of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, since we know it so well, have you missed how crazy that is? Who in this room could actually say, I shall not want? Now, admittedly, the word want in that original Hebrew, it really isn't talking about desires as if you don't ever have any wants. It's really saying lack. I shall have no lack. Or let's put it in the simplest phrase, you won't have any needs. But even if you will admit that, how many in this room could say, I don't have any needs. I don't lack anything. I mean, that is a difficult thing to say with integrity. How could you say that? It sounds irrational, illogical, insane, unless you grip by faith those first five words of the chapter. The Lord is my shepherd. When you get this, you will find that what was once irrational becomes rational. What was once insane becomes sane. What was once illogical becomes logical. You will see a truth that has upheld Christians throughout the centuries. Let me state it simply. This is when my judgment, the theme of this text, and we'll spend the rest of our time unpacking what I mean by this countercultural statement. Dear believer, hear this. All you need, you have in him. All you need, you have in him. Now, could you actually say that by faith? Can you say that with integrity? And I dare say none of us can unless 
you grip who is the him of which we speak. When we say all our needs we have in him, who is that him? It's the him of the first five words of this psalm. You can take your five fingers and together grip this psalm by faith when you recognize it is the Lord we speak of. The, not a Lord, not one Lord. It is the only God, the exclusive God of all things. That is the Lord who is our shepherd, but not just any Lord. Did you look down at the verse? When you read the Lord, the word Lord is in all capitals. Many of you probably are familiar that when you see Lord in all capitals, it is referring to the highest and holiest name for God, Yahweh, the name revealed at, in Exodus 3 at the burning bush, I am who I am. Some of you are probably more familiar with the Latinized version of the word Yahweh. That's the word Jehovah. This is the great Jehovah God. Unlike the name Adonai, when you see the word Lord in normal case, capital L and then lowercase O-R-D, that's Adonai. But when it's all capitalized, it's Yahweh, Jehovah God, the great creator, almighty maker of heaven and earth, the uncaused cause, the unmoved mover, the unshakable, unbreakable creator of all things. This is the one who was and is and is to come, who made all things, sustains all things, upholds all things by the word of his power. It is the Lord we speak of. And what does the text say? The Lord is my shepherd, not was my shepherd, not will be, not could be, not might be, not should be. He is, he always is, he will be is, and he's always gonna be is. He is my shepherd. This is not some ethereal faraway God. This is your God, a personal God, an intimate God, one who is intimately involved in your life. If you read Psalm 23, you'll notice these personal pronouns are replete. 17 times I found the word me or my or I. This is a psalmist talking about a personal intimate relationship with the Lord who is my. And now we come to the weird word, shepherd. It's where we get lost a little because we're not terribly familiar with the shepherd imagery. Shepherd. I'm gonna spend the rest of our time unpacking the imagery of a shepherd, but let me just say from the outset that when we see the Lord self-describe himself as a shepherd, we should infer a couple things. One, he is presenting himself as one who intimately cares for us, and two, he is inferring for us that we are utterly and completely dependent on him. We belong to him. We are, in other words, by analogy, sheep. So for the rest of this text, we are going to have to grapple with the fact that God is a shepherd and we are a sheep. And together, when we grip this imagery with those five words, the Lord is our shepherd, and we hold on to it by faith, we are going to learn the logic of that next phrase, I shall not want. We are going to finally realize if this God is my God, then I don't need anything. If that God is my shepherd, I don't have any wants, any needs. I'm good. Healthier people may have wants. Wealthier people may have wants, but not I, because the Lord is my shepherd. And so the question that ought to be puzzling you right now is, if that's true, how? 
How is he our shepherd? How does he actually manifest this care for us in such a way that you could leave the Lord's house this day and say with full assurance of faith, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't have any wants, I shall not want. If that's you, turn to the text with me, and I want you to notice in verses 2 and 3, four ways the Lord is our shepherd such that we shall not Want. I didn't make this up. This isn't the preacher in, uh, enforcing something on the text. Did you notice in verses 2 and 3, four times it says, He does something to me. He does something to us. Verse 2, He makes me. Verse 2, He leads me. Verse 3, He restores my. Verse 3, He leads me. Four times the Lord does something for us. And I want to unpack those four things the good shepherd does for us so that you can see with new eyes of faith that the Lord really is your shepherd, therefore you shall not want. Oh, praise God, we've got a shepherd. The first thing I want you to note, mark this down with me if you will, is all you need you have in him because he gives rest when you're restless. He gives us rest when we are restless. Now, Bear with me. This is a song. It's a poem. That means there's imagery that we have to understand before we apply. So the rest of my message, I'm going to explain the image of the sheep and the shepherd, and then I'm going to draw a parallel between our lives with our Lord. So let's consider the imagery of a sheep that is made to lie down in green pastures. Sheep, by nature, are restless creatures. Sheep, by nature, are fearful creatures. In fact, there's a, a man who wrote a famous book on Psalm 23. His name is Philip Keller. And in this book, he notes, as a shepherd, that sheep are often prone to be restless due to four things. There are four factors that often cause sheep to be restless. I wonder if these four factors for sheep resonate with we, his sheep. First off, it's fear. Sheep are prone to fear. Sheep are often skittish, timid creatures. All it takes is a rabbit hopping across the field for them to get spooked. But the only thing that keeps a sheep reassured is the presence of the shepherd. If there is a human shepherd in their midst, oddly, strangely, wonderfully, sheep relax. They're able to rest. They're able to at last lie down. They won't lie down if there's not a shepherd nearby. There's a fear factor. Uh, another factor that's often common is friction socially amongst the sheep. Sheep are territorial animals. They'll start infighting to see who's the leader of the pack. There's friction within, and that evidently tends to go away when the shepherd is present. All the sheep turn their attention to the shepherd and follow his lead and stop going at one another. There's fear factors. There's the factor of friction. You'll also see in sheep commonly that for lack of a better word, there's foes that cause them to be restless. Foes like little uh, flies that get in their nose or bugs that get in their ears. And the only thing that can get them relief is if the shepherd comes and puts oil, a salve on their nose or their ears or other wounds so that the bugs stop irritating them. If there was no shepherd, they would not be able to help themselves and they would be restless and never able to lie down. Fourthly and finally, this is probably the least surprising of them all. If the uh, sheep are battling famine, they're not getting food, they're hungry, they're restless, looking for food. They won't lie down until they find it. And I wonder how many of you folks recognize 
Does that not sound a whole lot like you and me? I mean, what an odd parallel. Little surprise then that our Lord in his infinite wisdom deemed to give us an abiding analogy between our relationship to him and sheep and shepherds. Because we are a lot like sheep. We, like sheep, are a restless bunch prone to fear, prone to anxious cares, prone to trying to grab control of all of our existence. And if only we would let go and turn our attention to our great shepherd who is calling us to turn our eyes upon him, to cast our cares upon him, to enjoy his presence. If only you would look to your shepherd who is in control of all things, all the cares of this world would grow strangely dim. How prone are we not only to the fears of sheep, are we not prone to friction like sheep? I mean, what marriage in this room does not have friction? What parent-child relationship in this room does not have friction? What relationship period in this great congregation doesn't have friction to one degree or another? We are sinful, strong-willed people. If only we would turn our eyes upon our chief shepherd and follow his lead, we would all then recognize that all the cares that cause friction between us would slowly fade away. Man, are we a lot like sheep. Battling fear, battling friction, battling all the irritating foes of this world. They're small. It's like a little gnat. It's little stuff. But have you noticed it's all those little things that have a cumulative effect in our hearts and our souls that over time can build up? And before you know it, the reason you're so joyless in God's house week after week after week is because of the cumulative effect of all these irritants and you have not been going to your good shepherd who alone can soothe you, who alone can cause all of those irritants to be at last relieved. Oh, there is sweet relief in the presence of our shepherd. And I wonder how many of you in this room are absolutely positively famished and not because it's, you know, 1145. You're hungry because this is about the only time you feed on the Word of God. You come in week after week and you get a meal, there's no question, but I don't care what kind of meal. You could go to a Brazilian steakhouse and eat today and you are still gonna be hungry in at least a day, some of you in a few hours. You're gonna be hungry. You're not going to sustain all week long. And so you have not been going daily self-feeding at the green pastures of God's Word. Oh, are we not like sheep? No wonder so many of us are so restless. No wonder St. Augustine, that famed early church leader, famously remarked, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Would you see that you have a good shepherd who alone can grant you rest for your restless heart? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He alone makes me lie down, rest in green pastures. But the song doesn't end there. He leads me beside the still waters. I want you to think with me about the imagery of still waters. Sheep are naturally not just restless creatures. They are peaceless creatures. And by analogy, I want you to see that our good God, who not only grants rest for your restless heart, he will grant you peace, secondly, for your peaceless heart, which we see in the image of the still waters. A sheep, by nature, like the rest of us, needs water. All animals do. And when sheep are thirsty, they get restless, peaceless. They won't stop till they find water. And they are naturally prone to settle for any old water they can find. Oftentimes that means they'll come upon bad water. 
dirty water, water filled with parasites. And they drink it because they think it'll satisfy them. But does it ever? It'll actually end up leading to significant illness, if not death. So then they need a shepherd to lead them. But here's the trick. Even if they have a shepherd that will lead them from bad waters to good waters, healthy, clean, flowing, rich waters, there's another problem. Sheep being peaceless, restless, fearful creatures that they are will often not drink from good, clean, flowing waters. And do you know why? Because they are, by DNA, afraid of them. Because those running waters can be a hazard to them. Sheep, as you well know, are woolen creatures. They are able to absorb a lot of water. And if they get into running water and the water starts to absorb in part of their coat, they can very easily lose balance, tip over into the creek and drown. They can't get back up out of it. And so they're naturally prone to resist the running waters. They need a shepherd to come and still the waters. And the way they did this, evidently, was to dam up the brook so that the water would slow down and create kind of a, uh, a still pond, so to speak, for the sheep to drink from. And is, do you guys not see, again, by analogy, where this picture relates to you and to me? Are we not like sheep, thirsty? We are all by nature thirsty creatures. The essence of our humanity is longing for something to satisfy our weary souls. And so we settle so often, do we not? You who are thirsty, how many times have you settled for something that will never satisfy? If only I had a bigger house, if only I had a better spouse, if only I had a nicer car, if only I had a better job, if only, and you fill in the blank, and what's the truth? The essence of sin is you always think the grass is greener on the other side. You stray into that pasture and what ends up happening? It's never greener. It never satisfies. You always settle for that which will not satisfy. And so some of you know this to be true. And so you've come into the Lord's house because you've heard there are fresh, good, clean, living waters here. And you are ready to drink deeply from the waters of God's word. But yet you come and like a sheep, you're timid, you're peaceless, you're restless. You don't want to drink from it because you're afraid you might fall in it. It might change everything about you. It might add, uh, absolutely, radically transform your life. You don't want to count the cost. And my word to you is, come. There is a good shepherd who is stilling the waters for you. He bids you come and drink for his precious promise in the scripture is sure. Anyone who drinks from these living waters will never thirst Again, this is a water that will satisfy and quench your sin-sick uh, uh, soul. Oh, my friends, would you see from the Bible, we have a shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures. He will give you rest for your restless heart. He leads us beside the still waters. He will give you peace for your peaceless heart. But thirdly, he restores our soul. Let me put it this way. He gives you hope when you're hopeless. When you read that first phrase of verse 3, you might think David changed analogies. He's been talking about sheep, but what does he mean when he says, he restores my soul? What does he speak of? When David says, he restores my soul, he is probably referring to this fact about sheep. Sheep would often fall over into a hopeless position called being cast. 
being cast down as a sheep is when they would tip over and they could not right themselves back up. They were helpless. And in that hopeless, helpless position as a cast down sheep, they could very quickly have bodily gases build up from the stress of being stuck and end up dying from being in this cast position. It was the job of a shepherd to come and rescue them. Now let's tease out together some of the reasons why a sheep might get cast down. On the one hand, likely due to the fact that sheep would often get into a position of being just a little too comfortable. They'd find a nice soft spot to lay in. It typically was indented a bit or it had foliage and they would rest in there and they would sink in and before you know it, their weight center of balance shifted and they were so relaxed they couldn't get back up. They were stuck in their ease or sheep would get too heavy whether it meant their woolen coat had gotten so many briars and uh, mud and dirt caked onto it that their weight got shifted and now they were stuck, or maybe they had actually gotten fat from overeating and they literally just didn't have the ability to right side themselves. They had gotten too heavy. They had gotten too comfortable. Maybe they were just too weary. They had been traveling and not resting and their legs were so weak when they laid down they just couldn't get themselves back up. Probably what was most likely the case is the sheep would wander off and they would wander off the paths the shepherd had guided them to and they would get onto terrain that caused them to tip over and fall. These sheep found themselves in a hopeless cast position. And does this not sound like a beautiful analogy of our very existence? For are we not like sheep who are often cast down, so to speak? where we find ourselves routinely in this unenviable position of getting so at ease, so relaxed, so at home in this world, not only in the world, but positively of the world, that we are just in a position where we can't get up. We are so at ease, we're not willing to give up all of it. This is why Jesus famously remarks about the dangers of the rich man. Oh, is it hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Have you gotten too comfortable? I wonder how many of you in this room have gotten too heavy, so to speak. All the muck and mire of this world has caked onto your wool, so to speak, that you have lost your equilibrium, you have fallen down headfirst into sin, and it's as if you can't get up. It's like all of the bad influences or all of the vices have the, you in their grip, and you just cannot right-side yourself. You are cast down, as it were. Or perhaps you find yourself today in a position where you've You've just wandered away. You, you found yourself wandering into the far country. You've decided you're going to do things your own way. And so you are no longer on the right straight paths that the shepherd has called you upon. And now you've fallen. You have stumbled and you recognize your hopeless position. Oh, I pray you see that there is a good shepherd who is bidding you come back. He will leave the 99 and he will come for you. He will restore your weary soul. He will refresh your fallen soul. My friends, he will rescue your lost soul. We have a shepherd who sees you in your hopeless state and he alone can take you who are cast down and right side you. He'll do more than that. He will take you and throw you upon his shoulders like the shepherd did in Luke 15, and he will bear your weight and bring you back into the flock. Praise God, ours is a shepherd who alone can give us rest when we're restless, peace when we're peaceless, hope when we're hopeless. But we dare not leave without looking at the fourth and final thing this good shepherd does for us. For he fourthly and finally grants us, for lack of a better word, help when we're helpless. 
Notice, if you will, the fourth and final thing this sweet psalmist of Israel says. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If you were to go to ancient Palestine, you would notice on the hillside these ruts all through the hillsides. Sheep naturally follow these same well-worn paths. They're paths of safety. They are, what the, when the text says paths of righteousness, it literally means paths that are right, safe, good. These are the straight paths, not the crooked paths. These are the paths the shepherd wants you to go on. But sheep by nature are self-assertive creatures. They often wander from the path, like the sheep that left the 99. They often go their own way, and those that are self-assertive end up being self-destructive because they often leave the path to go to a field of their own choosing. They decide they like this pasture better, and you want to know what's often the case? That pasture that the shepherd did not lead them to is a barren pasture that will not nourish them. Indeed, it will leave them in a helpless position where they will starve and die if a shepherd does not come and save them. Does this not sound like us? I mean, are we not like sheep who are self-assertive creatures? You moms and dads in this room ought to amen the fact that we are by nature self-assertive creatures. We are by nature, as Isaiah said, like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We are by nature children of wrath, those who like to do what's right in our own eyes, as the writer of Judges so eloquently captures the essence of sin. We are prone to wander, as the old hymnist says. We are, my friends, like sheep, self-assertive creatures. And have you learned, you who have learned by experience, and you students in this room, I plead you hear my voice this moment. In your self-assertion, it will prove to be self-destructive. Just ask your mom and dad, ask any saint that's walked with the Lord for any amount of time. Every time you decide to go your own way, it will prove self-destructive. You will find yourself in a barren pasture that will not nourish you, will not satisfy you. You will find yourself helpless, which is why we praise God that we have a shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness, who will leave the 99 and come and find you, and he will show you the path. Oh, do not leave this path. You will have many pleading with you to come off the path. Come look over here. This is new, fresh, exciting, innovative. Come find it. It will give you the rest you want, and it's a lie. Satan is a liar, and so I plead that you would see that you will find yourself in a helpless position. Many of you in this room may this moment feel helpless. You may feel like you are stuck in the muck and the mire of sin. You may feel like you are in the far country. There is a shepherd who is bidding you come home. He will come and rescue you. He will come and redeem you. Oh, praise God, we have a shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness, and it says for his name's sake. That means on his own reputation, he's going to do it. He is going to do it so that the world will know that he is a good shepherd. He is not a mindless shepherd who's asleep on the job. He is doing this for his name's sake. So the glory of God is at stake. Oh, would you see that we have a shepherd who will give you rest when you're restless, peace when you're peaceless, help when you're helpless, hope when you're hopeless. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But is he your shepherd? Could you say that? Is he? 
Because the sobering thing we must grapple with from this text is that the most natural, normal, and appropriate analogy for us in the Bible is not as a sheep. It's as a wolf, a goat, a wild animal. We are by nature children of wrath. We are by nature wild. How do we become a sheep? There is but one way. You must be purchased by a shepherd. You must belong to a flock. You must be known by a shepherd. You must hear and know his voice. And so, how do you then become a sheep? Praise God, we have such a shepherd. We have a shepherd who has purchased us Oh, just consider the analogy in the New Testament. The Apostle John tells us that ours is a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That's John 10. He describes Jesus as a good shepherd who died so that you wouldn't have to. He laid down his life for his sheep. The New Testament continues in the book of Hebrews describing our shepherd not just as a good shepherd, but as a great shepherd who rose from the dead. Our shepherd is not dead, gone, and buried. He is risen and reigning this day. Praise the Lord that our shepherd is not only good, he is great, but he is not just a good and great shepherd. Praise the Lord for the Apostle Peter who ends this trilogy by describing our shepherd as not only good and not only as great, but in 1 Peter, he describes him as the chief shepherd who is coming again. Jesus Christ, our shepherd, died for you. He rose for you. And he is coming again for you. And so, dear church, we who are the sheep of his pasture, we ought to praise God for our good, great chief shepherd who in him we have all we need rest for our restless hearts, peace for our peaceless hearts, help for our helpless hearts, hope for our hopeless hearts. But if that is not you, in this hour you know that you know that you know that you are peaceless, restless, hopeless, and helpless, I plead you would come to this good, great chief shepherd who is bidding you hear his voice this moment. For when you do, you will join the chorus begun by that sweet psalmist of Israel, David. You will sing in this chorus that all the saints of history are together in one accord singing. You will join that immortal chorus that is though strange, oh, is it sweet. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Would you join me as we pray? And with your heads bowed as we go to the Lord in a time of commitment, I want you to just consider with me the profoundly strange yet sweet words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Is the Lord your shepherd? If he is not, in a moment we're going to sing. And as we stand and sing, there are pastors down here at the front that are there to talk with you, to meet with you, to pray with you. There are steps open. You come down here and pray. We'll pray with you if you'd like. 
This song of response is a time for each of us to respond in one accord and to sing with all the saints of old that the Lord, he is our shepherd, therefore we shall not want. Perhaps you come this day admitting your restless, peaceless, hopeless, helpless state of your soul. You sense your need. You sense wants. And you have now recognized with new eyes of faith that you have a shepherd who meets all those needs. Oh, perhaps you need to respond this day in repentance and ask God to restore to you the joy of your salvation to help you see your maker as your shepherd. We all, in other words, should respond this day. Join me now as we pray. Our Father in heaven, our great, good, and chief shepherd of the flock, we come before you as your sheep, pleading that you would do a work in our hearts. For those who are in the far country, rescue them, draw them near. For those who are restless and peaceless and hopeless and helpless, weary as it were, oh, I pray that you would remind them anew that you are our shepherd, we shall not want. You make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside the still waters. You restore our soul. And you will lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And it is for that name, the name above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray all these things. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? And as we stand and as we sing, the call to you is to come.